September 3, 2021. It's the Watt for Pedro show. <laughs>
Pedro Show. Happy Friday. Started to show off with uh, Nancy with the laughing face, John Coltrane. And uh, after that, Krakatau? Yeah, Krakatau, yeah. Okay, okay. You can tell people I ain't man alone because of those Estonian <laughs> software engineers with their Skype invention. I got... <laughs> <laughs> you like that, huh? Your, your way uh pronouncing your name so I don't fuck it up. Raul Bjorkenheim? You can you can pronounce it like that. That's the that's the the English language way of pronouncing it. That's fine okay. because in in Sweden it's it's a Swedish name and yeah. and here it's pronounced Birkenheim. Whoa! <laughs> so there's an, there's, there's an accent on the first syllable, so it's Björk. Okay. You know, like the singer, the the Icelandic oh. singer Björk. So it's like Birkenheim. It has the same word root. It means it means like home of the birches. Well, what I remember was a tennis player. Borg. That was Björn Borg. Okay. <laughs> well, it was a long time ago. My memory's it's, terrible. It's all Swedish, man. It's all yeah, Swedish. Yeah, yeah, but no Sweden's problem. great pad. Everybody's got a great pad and a great language, and they don't need Watt to destroy it, and so that's why I asked you. <laughs> don't worry about it. Man. Okay, thank, thank you, Raul. Um, in fact, one of my, my missing man drummers, Raul, but he don't have the O. But I do, Raul Welsh, a famous movie director, has the Yeah, it's trippy. Um, yeah, and, and now we have the a, a great film director called Raoul Peck, who that, did that, that fantastic. One too, right. That's he's great. He and and you know he's done great stuff. The the James Baldwin documentary that he made, that I am Absolutely. not your Negro. Have you seen that? No, I haven't, but I know about it, and I've read Mr. That's Baldwin's, really good. Mr. That's Baldwin's excellent. work is very very happening, and you know, yeah. even in France. Uh, let, let's. I'm curious about your your journey through music. Can you bring us your earliest musical memory? Well, <clears throat> I was very lucky because my my mother uh, started out as a ballet dancer, and um, when she was she was just like I guess in, in her late teens, she was in a in a in a British dance company, and they actually and then she was discovered by a it was called the Marquis de Cuevas uh, Ballet Company in Monaco, and they they actually did world tours, and then one of the pieces they did was Petrushka. You know Stravinsky's Petrushka. Yeah. So, so as a kid, she we'd listen to the record, you know, and she'd she'd tell me the story, and I was always entranced by it. I thought it was a great story, and you know, so from really from <laughs> from the first time as a kid, I, I was listening to music, and she she always listened to music a lot, and uh, she was also a very very uh, she she would, did musical. She was a singer and an actress, so so I had music in the home, you know, right from the first day, mainly classical music and stuff, and then. And then at the end of the 60s, I started getting more, of course, into rock when I was in high school. So so I, I, I gave gave up <laughs> the other music, you know, for for rock. And like like my first rock record was was Jethro Tull stand up. And um, and then from there, you know, just went on very naturally, like like, you know, you know, 69, 70. I still had a chance to go to the Fillmore East in New York when I was living in New York City. And um, got to see some really great, like I saw B.B. King and I saw Albert King and I saw Edgar Winters' White Trash and Billy Preston and people like that. So so that was when I was 14, like that. And I, I, I heard and saw, I think that's a really important thing to see also amazing musicians, you know, in action. Because then when you see them and you hear them at the same time, then, well, it's the, as you know, it's the, it's the whole experience that you really, you really understand what's going on. And when you see some great guitar playing, and and you, you you hear it at the same time, then it goes right into your you know it's your DNA. It becomes part of your DNA right away. Uh, the bass player, Glenn Cornick, 
first one for Jethro Tull. He lived a few years here in my Pedro town. Really? And then I wouldn't shit you. <laughs> no, no, I know that. I know that. Okay. So tell me, did you get to know him? I didn't get to know him, but I met him a couple times. He was a very nice man. And I loved his playing in in that band, especially when they were more bluesies. And then you said Monaco. I got to play there once. But that one gig, it was helping the Stooges. I got to meet Dusty Hill. <laughs> uh, great wow. bass man. They're inspiring to me. I was a big ZZ Top fan when I was young. Can I ask you this? The pads you yep. grew up in, was there musical instruments? Well, I guess when I was uh, eight years old, we, we had in school, we had the chance to, to pick up an instrument. And, and uh, so I, I started playing violin. So I played violin for a year. But um, it wasn't really what I, I you know, I, I would generally cry before the lesson because they were so, you know, violin is a pretty hard instrument to play. And I, I think for anybody in their environment to hear somebody screeching away on a violin out of tune is, must be pretty bad. But um, so I gave it up after a year. But uh, but then um, I started getting into trumpet, believe it or not. So when I was between, I guess, nine and 11, I was playing trumpet and um uh, I was even in the Boy Scouts. I was living actually in California for for the year that when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. I was I remember I was living in Santa Monica. I was no, I'm sorry, in Brentwood. I was living in Brentwood, and um, I was part of a, a, a Boy Scout troops, and I was the bugler. So I'd, I would I would always play you know the the reve, and then I'd play taps. So <laughs> that was like an an early experience of music, I guess, too, in some strange way. No, and, um, music is music. Uh, music is music, and that has that, yeah. that has a function. You know, that has a function. Absolute, absolute. In fact, bugle. You know, no walkie-talkies and leashes and shit. So they use that shit to communicate. The, 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 there's, uh, you know, my papa's a sailor, so I. There's certain kinds of signals. You when to conk, when to wake up, when to charge. You know, this kind of shit with trumpet line, melody lines. Uh, let me ask you this: first record you bought with your own money. Well, that was that was Jethro Tell stand up. Oh, but I think okay. I, I think, it with your I think after the, after that it was Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, um, Woodstock. I think that was the second record, and then the third record was the band, you know, the Brown album. So, so that was the music that we were listening to at the time. But then, um, you know, it didn't take very long. For, I, I had a I was going to a boarding school in Pennsylvania, and then and I had a black roommate who who then one day said, you know, you want to listen to some really hip stuff. And then he played me Jimi Hendrix, and well, that that started that off. You know, there was a band of gypsies, and I, you know, I remember that bass line from Who Knows was the one that started me off really into yeah, yeah. into that thing. And I think that that you know, even to this day, if anybody asks me like who's the best, uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of associated with free jazz. So if people ask me what's the best free jazz guitar solo you can think of, I say, well, it's Machine Gun. You know, well, Jimmy you know, Hendrix there's a great Gun. quote from Jimmy. Uh, she's talking about Mitch Mitchell. He goes, he's my Elvin Jones. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, fucking bitching, right? Uh, what was the first gig you saw? The first gig? Well, let me think about this, because, see, I used to go to classical concerts, because my mom would That's take me to classical gig. concerts. That's still a gig. So, 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 I mean, I would see things, but probably one of the first, like, like rock and blues concerts that I saw um, believe it or not, was Rolling Stones at the finish the Helsinki Olympic Stadium in nineteen, let me think, sixty nine, I think, and they were they were it was the the opening act was was uh, Junior Wells Blues Band, 
So, so I heard, I heard those were those two bands, but I mean, you know, it was a big stadium and I wasn't very close up. So, so it was, you know, an incredible experience. And I still remember what it, the way, the feel of it. And it was a beautiful summer day and the sun was shining and then they played their set. You know, that was the, I guess it was like the gimme shelter period. And, um, that, that was really something that was pretty awesome. And then I guess from then on, I, I got my first guitar when I was like, uh, well, that was 69, I guess, or 70. And, I want to get and, into uh, that, but first I want to play you this, uh, some more of this Krakatow you gave me, uh, Matinal. Cool. Thank you. 
Watch for Pedro Show. That chunk of music started off with Krakatow with Matinal. Then uh, King Champion sounds out of Netherlands with Libra, Libra, Libra. Brand new from Pete Kane. Pat Kane, uh, at D.C. area. He's got a new album. Theme for Full Moon. Love it. Obama's Prendon from D.C. area. In the Desert with Clayton. And then finally, some more Krakatow. Little Bighorn. <laughs> kind of a big gig happened there. <laughs> so, yeah. How did you jump on the guitar? It was very simple because <clears throat> when I was going to high school, um, I was a fairly, like, pimply kid who saw that all the all the guys that you know were attracting the girls were playing guitars and singing and it seemed to me to make sense and i always loved music so so there was a, a guy that showed me like the first three chords like a g major a c major and a d major chord and that said that was fine so then i learned a whole bunch of songs and i, I think that the first song that i ever learned was from the band big pink music from big pink was the long black veil i still i can still sing it so that was like the the first song that i ever learned on the guitar and um, and then I learned a lot of songs very fast, actually, because I just picked them up by ear. I didn't really. Well, where, I didn't where, have to... where did you get this guitar? I got it in uh, Doylestown, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, okay. in a store. It cost twenty five bucks. It it was like playing a cheese grater because the strings were so high, and I didn't know that they could be lower. You know, so I, I thought, oh my god, this is really hard to play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and and, and like how that happened, like. Your ma took you to the store, and I want one of those. No, no, okay. no, no, no. I went to the store myself. I saved up. I had a, I had a, an allowance. It was like, like a few bucks a week, and then I saved it up, and it was twenty five bucks. So I took quite a few weeks of of not buying any candy or anything, you know, unnecessary or mad magazines, and um, and then I finally, yeah, finally got in, got into the guitar. And and uh, and what? And it was acoustic. I'm assuming, right? Oh yeah, it was a cheap, the cheapest, uh, you know, rottenest type of acoustic guitar. As I said, with the strings so high that you could cut cheese with it. Oh know? yeah, we call him uh, William Tell. You know, like bow and arrow, you could stick your fucking arm between the strings and the frets and fretboard. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's exactly you know what, the type. Maybe when you're starting, it's kind of good because you build up some strength. <laughs> well, I had I got my calluses real fast. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh, it, it happened with me with a hundred dollar bass when I started. Well, I first. I didn't know basses had bigger strings. Because you, you're talking about arena rock, right? Well, we're so far away, it looked like a guitar, you know. I just thought they had skinnier necks. <laughs> I did, you know, just looking at the pictures and shit. And then, because I had no experience with club culture, I couldn't get close enough to actually see. Wow, look at that. In fact, the first time I saw a bass, I couldn't believe you could play it. It looked like cables. <laughs> so, uh, so what about... Uh, well, you were you were man alone. Well, this guy showed you some stuff. So, do you start taking lessons, or are you just man alone and uh, autodidact? Well, I think I think that when I bought my guitar, it was like this this music store, and then they gave the, I got a chord chart that came with the guitar. You know, one of these real cheap, uh, you know, ten page things that shows you all the main main chords. And then I started, you know, learning songs. People at school, I'd say, "Hey, how do you play that song?" And then they'd show me, and then I'd learn the chords. So, you know, I learned like two chords a week and then gradually I was able to play things. At one point I could play uh, Arlo Guthrie's uh, Alice's Restaurant. Entire in, I knew all the words. I could, I, I sang the whole thing. My, my father used to say, <laughs> Raul, can you play Alice's Restaurant? He used to pronounce it Alice's <laughs> Restaurant. It was in Santa Monica. 
No, actually, because my father was living in in Finland. They, my, my, both my father and mother uh, are Finnish, and we were living in Los Angeles when I was born. But then, uh, then they got divorced, and my father moved back to Finland. So, so I spent my my uh, my life pretty much my young life uh, shuttling back and forth between the two. So I got a little bit of both cultures, you know, yeah, the, the American culture and then and then the Finnish culture. Great, great, great. I've been to several times. I was almost killed in Pori. Oh yeah, a big storm. What happened? Came. A big old storm. It was nothing to do with Finnish people. In fact, a young security man saved my life. He got me because I had a bad knee. I couldn't get off the stage. Everybody ran. It tore. It ended up killing people. It broke the plane of the Iron Maiden people. It was heavy, but uh, I have a lot of good experience in Finland, man. I, I love flying there. <laughs> yeah. Good good place. And you know what Sly Stone said? He said, it's not where you're from. It's where you're at. So you don't pick those things. But if you're fortunate, like you, wide uh, experiences, so, so, so happen. So what about uh, with since you're doing school stuff or music stuff with school friends, do you get into the, you know, in the afternoon you do the basement band, the bedroom band, the garage band? Sure, of course we did that. I, I mean, I <clears throat> I don't know how many how many uh, stereo speakers I've blown by playing. You know, <laughs> you, you you sort of it's sort of you you jump start. You 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 take the you put alligator clips at the end of the guitar cord and you sort of hook them into the in, innards of of a, of, a, of an old radio or something. Or in the in the days when they were still tube amplifiers, and then for a little while it sounded great, but then suddenly you blow the speakers and then you just not tell anybody that you were doing what you were doing. You know. Uh, but uh, but then certain, I there's pretty always soon a certain I was able kind to try of smell, it. though, right? There's a certain what? kind of smell when you burn up electrical stuff, especially transformers with the windings when they burn. Well, yeah, yeah. The insulation, yeah. Ooh, that's the bad smell. So, but but you guys start jamming like I'm not saying these bands did any gigs or stuff, but you know, just having fun, right? Well, I mean, I started playing guitar uh, like I guess I guess in 1969, right? Yeah. And and then. When I moved to Finland to go to go to high school in when I was fifteen in 1971, so so then I, I already by that time I played a little bit more guitar and I could play a couple of songs and I could play like the bass line to uh, who knows and as a matter of fact in the early days I wanted to be a bass player because like I was ah, I'd be, listen, I'd be listening to Cream <laughs> and I wouldn't be I mean all respect to Eric Clapton but I'd be listening to Jack Bruce Jack and, Bruce, and Jim incredible Becker, the way they were playing influence. together. Incredible yeah. influence on me. You know, I was playing in Mobile the night he passed away. We lost him, and oh. it, it hit me hard. I right, found out right before the gig, and it was one of the worst gigs I ever played. And then, yeah, that guy was. So you were listening to the bass. That, that's great to know, because you know, in, well, that's... in our days when we were younger, bass was where you put your retarded friend. It was like hierarchy was so bad about bass players and drummers too. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm glad well, it's gotten more. Uh, like you said, all the girls wanted the guitar player who sings, right? Well, I'd say, I'd put it this way, that, that, that a, a friend of mine that we used to jam with, we'd, we'd jam in his bedroom, like, and I think it was his speakers that I blew, basically. <laughs> so, so, so we eventually, <laughs> we eventually decided to, to start playing properly. And, and I said, okay, we're going to save up money and we're going to tell all our parents for Christmas, you know, 1971, that don't give us any 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 presents or any you know woolen socks or anything like that. <laughs> we want to have money so we can you know put together money and go and buy instruments. So right. I managed to get enough money that I thought I was going to be able to buy a bass. And then we went my, with my friend with with you know I mean not very much money, but it, at the time it seemed like a fortune. And then we went to the store 
But unfortunately, the base cost just like, you know, $20 more than I had. And my friend had the $20 more. So he just said, well, I guess I'll buy the bass and you have to buy the guitar. And I was like, oh, shit, I have to buy the guitar. Okay. And then I bought the guitar and, well, and then we started a band. And uh, actually, in 1972 already, we were playing a band. We were doing Santana covers. We were doing uh, some Zappa songs. Zappa was actually a very important influence then when we started playing electrically. So, so that, that was like one of my big heroes, uh, Frank Zappa and, and, and of course, Jimi Hendrix. Ralph, did uh, this band have a name? <laughs> it had a terrible name. It was, <laughs> okay. it was Bilhartia, which is the disease you can get from drinking uh, impure water from the Ganges. <laughs> yeah, that's an inside joke. <laughs> and, well, uh, and, and can you remember you know, the bad first, names? How, how do you spell it? Uh, B-I-L-H-A-R-Z-I-A. Bill Hartzia. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> Bill Hartzia. Yeah. So what was the but first... it looked good. You know, it looked printed. It looked pretty good. You know, everybody was looking for the craziest names. <laughs> I mean, they didn't, they only got, I mean, by the time we were getting around to the dead Kennedys, then that one, when names started to get real crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bill Hartz. First Bill Hartz. Bill Hartz, yeah. Yeah. It sounded sound like Bill Hart, the cowboy. Right, star, right, right, right. Bill Hartz, first gig. What was it like, Raul? It was great. That was the first time we, we had, you know, actual, we had rented amplifiers and we were playing in a youth club. And that was a great experience. And I just loved it. It was, it was great to be playing with loud instruments. And we, we had a drummer. <laughs> he played the same comp. It was, and that was every song. And if it was a slow song, it was, and it was a fast song, of course. But it, it worked, you know, we, we played around it. It was fine. That's great. And so you weren't scared? No, no, no. No, I ask because I'm scared shitless when I go up playing, even after 40 years. But, you know, it's a strange thing that, that, that I guess I guess I never, I mean, I suppose there were some, some gigs that I was a little bit, you know, when they were like an important gig, but that was much later. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Club I gigs. asked about the first one because you can only have one first gig, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and did uh, Bill Hertz uh, record? Somewhere, somewhere, our guitar player has a recording, and I'm singing. In fact, I'm singing things like "Jumping Jack Flash," and I'm singing. I don't know some of uh, some help i'm a rock you know the, the zappa <laughs> song zappa. and um i'm doing all sorts of things but i i'd, I'd really blush to have to hear it again because I'm, <laughs> my voice was probably two octaves higher at the time you know but this was probably your first recording maybe yeah but i i, I know that it, it probably exists somewhere oh, and no. um as a matter of fact we, i was the the comp guitarist and the uh and the singer in the band, and we had a solo guitar player who was really good. I mean, he was really—he was a really good guitar player. And as a matter of fact, he turned into one of the main studio technicians in Finland in, in pop and rock in the '70s and early '80s. And he—I mean—he recorded all the hits, you know, like that. So he was—he was a real music genius in a way. He was—it was fun to work with him. Oh, great! Look, we're at the end of the first hour, September third, twenty twenty-one. The Dishwap Pedro Show special guest, Raúl Bjorkenheim. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Hold tight for hour two. September 3rd, 2021. It's the second hour of the Watford B-Road
Watch for Pedro Show. We start off the second hour with Raul Bjorkenheim with Last Oracle. And then uh, from Vietnam, Rand Kapdui Collective, Distant People. Uh, from Sydney, Australia, Lucas Abella with U is for Utrecaria. What the fuck that is? <laughs> and then F- Phantom City, Future Nights. Yeah, should I ask you about these projects? Phantom City, enlighten us, Raul. Well, Phantom City was out of the blue one day. I got an email from, from a guy called Paul Schütze who said that, that uh, hey, he, he's heard my playing and he'd love to do a project. He was putting together a project that uh, where he would be sending a tape, a multi, a sixteen track multi tape. It was like on one of these Adat tapes, if you remember. Oh, they looked yeah. like a VHS oh. tape. Yes. But but you, you'd get two of them, and then you'd have have to have a studio that a studio that was contempt, uh, that that had that the the devices in their studio. So so he sent me he sent first to Bill Laswell tracks that he had devised. So he had put some beats and he put some some atmospheres to start with. And it was going to be a project called Site Anubis, and um, and so he he, he put started off with the, with those tracks, and he sent it to Bill Laswell. Bill added two bass tracks, one of you know just a bass track, and the other one was more like a wah wah crazy bass track. And then um, I was the third person to get it, so then I I started adding guitars, and and he wanted to, to me to to add a couple of guitars, if you know, or even if I had other ideas, I could add as many as I like. So. On the, on the track that you listening, you're going to be listening to or listen to we just future heard. night. Oh, yeah. We just heard it. future. You just oh on the on on future nights that you just heard. Um, I play a twelve string guitar. You playing a lot of harmonics, yeah. and then I play uh, two lead guitars on top of it. But anyway, after that, the the tape was then sent off to uh, Dirk Wechtler, a drummer in in Belgium, who plays with Gnawa musicians there, and um, and then it was sent to Seattle, and Julian Priester added stuff there, trombone, and then it was added, uh, Lol Coxhill, you know, a very uh, influential free jazz player in London, added saxophone, and then it finally ended up in Basel in Switzerland, where uh, Alec Bus added clarinet, and and then he mixed it together with with, uh, Paul Schütze, who then added some more atmospheres when he heard it, and it was was really an exciting project to do, and then when I heard how he had mixed it, I was really... uh, I'm curious, what year? This was... um, 1977 or 78? I thought so. So you were like ahead of the curve. I've made albums with people I've never even met. But, you know, we trade the files over the Internet. This way, the the, the VHS tape (laughs) traveled around. Uh, Very interesting. Same idea. You know, there's a lot of ways to do music. uh, It's beautiful. Look, uh, Crack crack a Towel. We didn't get to really talk about that. We played three of the tunes. So enlighten us, please. Okay, well, I was playing when, when I, uh, um, let me see, there's about 1984, I, I got to, to participate in a workshop by a, by a real famous Finnish free jazz drummer called Edvard Vesala, who had a band, he started a band called Sound and Fury, which is basically, he was mentoring a lot of us young musicians that were into that type of music. And he was a, a great, great musician. You know, he's made lots of, well, 10 albums for ECM, and um and then we made a, an album for ECM in '87, uh, which was called Lumi, which means snow. And I got I got to play guitar on that. And I, that was like for me, you know, I had listened a lot to ECM jazz and that type of stuff. Sure. Like guitar players like John Abercrombie and uh, yeah, of course Pat Metheny and and like that. And I was like really into it. So 
So to, to be on an album on ECM, I felt like, wow, this is going to be the thing. So then um, after that album, uh, Edward said, why don't we do a trio record? You know, with with some bass player, we have to find some bass player. And I was really excited about it. So I went around uh, getting the money together for that. So I applied in Finland. We have a very good arts system. So you can apply for grants to do recordings. So I did. And I got I got the grants. But then, um, it, it, as it turned out, I started getting into arguments with uh, Edward because he wanted to dominate too much. So, <laughs> so at much. one point, I actually, I at one point, uh, this is this is not this is a true story. Okay. I actually, I, uh, during a sound check, I got so pissed off at him that I shouted at him. Everybody in the band got real quiet because <laughs> nobody had ever shouted at him before, and I was furious because he had said some something really stupid. And then I threw a table at him, Whoa! and then I then I went, went off, and my my heart rate was like two hundred and seventy three. And then and then I, when I went back to the to do the gig afterwards, I was sure that he was going to kill me. But um, but then we we stood at opposite ends of the of the backstage, and then we hugged, and then we played the, uh, probably the best gig of of them all. And then I left the band. So, so then I had this money to do record with, and um, and so. At first, I was going to do a trio record. So first, we spent three days in a really top studio in Finland called Finvox. And but I'm sorry, just to go back a little bit, the Krakatau name came because uh, Edward said, "Man, you got to come up with some good name. I don't want it to be some bullshit name like Robert <laughs> Tree, Tree or something like that. Would that would suck?" So so he so so I came up. I, I watched a documentary. Um, you know, I think it was like one of these BBC nature documentaries about volcanoes. And then they talked about Krakatoa. And I was like, wow, that's a good name Krakatoa. for a man. Krakatoa. Krakatoa, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was a movie made, Krakatoa, East of Java. And they fucked up because it's actually West of Java. I mean, maybe and, and, and also, in, in, the old, in the original language, it's Krakatoa, I guess. Yeah, of course, Hollywood, <laughs> come on. They, they ruined so much shit. <laughs> Look, I want to play... I, I so that's that's how Krakatau started, and and it started out. So we went went for three days into a studio, and I spent all the money that I got in in the grant. But then I wasn't happy with it, and I didn't know what to do because I was supposed to you know tell tell the people that gave me the grant what I did with the money, and I was like you know wringing my hands in anguish. And then the phone rang, and suddenly I got a gig to write music for a play, and uh, and play seventy performances on stage. So I spent like a half a year doing that and I made all the money back and then I was able to take a whole new band into the studio after doing a few gigs with them and that's the the band that did Matinal and uh, and the other piece that you've been listening to okay I want to play the shadow glow stuff ghosted wall
Juan for Pedro, show that chunk of music. Shadow Glow, Ghosted Wall. Then our Al Mar- Sorry, Mr. Margolis. Al Margolis with Oct Guitar. And finally, Blixed, Black Hole. And a little pun rock there, people. It's W-H-O-L-E. <laughs> but uh, what Blixed? Tell me about Blixed. Well, <clears throat> after we had done the, the Phantom City recording with Bill, like, in, like I said, in 1977, um, then, then Bill was very, uh, he seemed to be very enthusiastic about my playing. So one day I get a Federal Express box with 20 CDs that he sent me. And I was really impressed in a very friendly card. And, um, and then, then I listened to them. And I was like really excited about it. And then at one point he, he, he sent me a message Oh, by the way, we played two or three live gigs with Phantom City, and that well, I got to meet him in person, and then we, you know, hung out a little bit. So, so then he invited me to do a record with uh, with um, Nicky Scopolitis, a guitar player who'd been with the I think it was the, the Golden Palominos. They had a band that they did with you know with Bill, and uh, so we went to do this duo record for. We did a, a record for Alan Douglas originally. Ah, yeah. And, oh, wow. And and it was supposed to be it was supposed to be real. It was like the first recording that I was a part of, where Bill said, "Okay, look, this is we we're we're aiming for for it's going to be an ambient, but you know, with a groove type of record." So that's the record we did. It was called Revelator, and um, and so that's how I got to to really you know be in the studio with Bill a little bit more. And uh, and he he was a, I, I found a really nice producer to work with. He just was really supportive. And if something wasn't good, you know, instead of saying that sucked, you know, you should get a job washing windows or something. Jesus. He said, or throwing he just, tables. He, no, no, he wouldn't say that. He, he'd just say, yeah, well, yeah. it's a little bumpy. You want to do it no, again? I, I met and the I said, man. He's very kind. Very, very yeah. nice man. Yeah, I, I agree. But but I don't understand how this uh, fits into Blixed. Because Bill Laswell plays on Blix. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. So, so it was a, a project that I, I suggested to Steve Feigenbaum at Cuneiform that because yeah. I'd been playing together with a drummer called Morgan Orgren, who who's a, a I mean he's an amazing Swedish drummer, who who I, one of his stories is that he he, uh, he he when he was really young a teenager he loved Zappa's music and he had sent letters to Frank Zappa and then when Frank Zappa played in Stockholm. He had he had invited them backstage to, to to say hello to the band, and of course Morgan was really excited about it. And then Frank said to Morgan, "Hey, you want to you want to come and play a song? What can what what can we play together?" And um, I think it was some song from it was Waka Jawaka, I think that they chose to play. And then then uh, you know this young Morgan goes up on stage and he blows everybody away by playing the, the song exactly right, you know. And uh, so that was that was one of his stories. But anyway, I played with him. A couple of times, Morgan, <clears throat> we played uh, we played a recording with Trevor Dunn. Ah, and, good uh, bass man. Yeah, great bass player. That was called Box, and that was like a, a year or two before we did Bleakst. So, so I had a connection with both Bill before, and then and then with uh, with Morgan Ogren from later on, and then I suggested this this to to them first, of course. That would you like to do this project? And then uh, then I asked Steve, would he be interested? And he was. And it actually then it turned out to be very good. We did it in in uh, Bill Laswell's studio in Orange, uh, New New York. It was fun. Okay, not New, not Orange, New Jersey. Yep. No, no. Uh, it's actually Orange, New York, New York. Okay. Okay. 
I, I, I've driven through Orange, New Jersey, and uh, a friend of mine, Ray Farrell, that's why. There's oranges everywhere, like where Disneyland is here, right, Orange County. Uh, yeah, right. the second hour, uh, uh, September 3rd, 2021, Dishwap Pedro Show special guest, Raul Bjorkenheim. Hold tight for hour three. September 3rd, 2021, it's third hour, Lot for Pedro Show. <laughs>
Grove Show. Started off third hour. Scorch Trio. With, now, this isn't Lugnut, people. This is Lugupt. And then we had Interruption of the Uncertainty Principle. Test for eight out-of-phase oscillators from Francisco uh, Myrino. Excuse me. Uh, Francisco. Lo siento. Uh, and then finally, The Sky is Ruby. Umo Big Band. So, Scorch Trio. Raul? You want me to tell you about Scorch Trio? <laughs> Until I learn how to read minds, please use words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is a great interview. I like this. We should read each other's minds and just be quiet for two hours. No, no, no. This is good. This is, I like it better this way, the, the, the voluble one. Scorch Trio was a, a band. I, I heard a, a bass player at a, at a gig called Ingebrig Hockerflaten. Who was playing uh, at the time? It was ma- one of his main instruments, of course, is acoustic bass. A great Norwegian bass player. I heard it at a gig, yeah. and then afterwards, I, I said, "Hey, man, it would be great to, to play together." And you know, usually that, that doesn't usually lead anywhere, but we actually communicated. This was in the year 1999, just before the millennium, and uh, and then we kept in touch, and then um, and then eventually, I, I got a, a two day. Uh, radio session here at the Finnish National Radio, and uh, and you know th- they were they were going to get paid for it too so, to make a radio show, so so um, he, I, I I asked Ingebrig, do you have any drummers then in mind that we could play with? And he said, okay, we have the, he plays together with a guy called Paul Nelson Love. So both guys then came to Helsinki, and we the first thing we did we met in the studio and we played. Uh, about an hour of music, which eventually wound up on a record that came wow, out. Wow, first jam. Just, first jam, you know, and it was totally improvised. There, okay. was, no, there was nothing it's written. A, I, we just, I, I dig it big time. What, what about Umo Big Band? And Umo Big Band is a band that I, you know, because uh, I, I like the idea of, of writing music too. Sure. So so I wrote this, uh, this um, I guess, a suite called Primal Mind because I thought that the music was going to be a little bit primal, but it was Still, it was like pretty much influenced by Stravinsky, there were, and there was some influence of uh, Lutoslavsky, so you know modern composers, but then sure. jazz and rock in in there too. And um, I did this recording, and it, and it's it's a one hour piece, and it's pretty intense. So so that was a really fun thing to do together. Ah. and that's and Umo means it means the new music orchestra. It's a Finnish big band that's been around for I guess what thirty years or something like that, maybe even thirty five. Oh, great. Okay. Here's obviously a personal project, the Raoul Bjorkenheim Ecstasy with heads and tails. Some more puns here, right? Tails without the eye, people. This is a, like a story, not a piece of anatomy. <laughs>
Watch for Pedro Show. Last music for this edition. Heads and Tails. Raul Bjorkenheim Ecstasy. Then Yuki Kawano with Everyone Everyone. Finally, Solar Winds. Uh, interpreting Mr. Coltrane's Joy. Uh, off air, you were starting to tell me about Raul Bjorkenheim Ecstasy. Well, it, it was one of my one of my favorite jobs. I'm one of the few musicians that, or I guess we quite a few of them actually, that love teaching. I just love it. I think it's one of the greatest things to do. I love, uh, you know, meeting young people. These are university level students that I, I teach, so they're very motivated. And um, in one of my improvisation ensembles, I had these incredibly talented players, uh, this, uh, the bass player then and saxophone player, who, who then later on became part of my band, Ecstasy. And it started out just as a jam. I, you know, I invited them some weekend to come and jam with me. And then we played and it was like, yeah, I want to have a band with these guys. And then, then we put it together. And so then uh, Steve Feigenbaum uh, was willing to, to, to have us release the records on, on Cuneiform. So we actually released three records on Cuneiform. And uh, Heads and Tails is from the second one, which was called Out of the Blue, which actually has a great record cover. It shows a guy uh, riding a horse entering a kitchen. And, and and that was that was uh, ecstasy. And ecstasy has been the band that's been that we've been consistently playing with. Even though now, of course, with the COVID period, we've, we've had a long break. But we actually have a gig coming up in two weeks, and then uh, in in uh, April we have a, a two week tour. So that's going to be fun. Where can people find you on the internet, Raúl? You can they can find it on my name. It's www.raulbjorkenheim.com. So if it if it's on your website. Yeah, you, 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 you might put that. a link to that. Uh, it's, Raul, you should spell that for people. It, it's it's so so it's www dot r a o u l b j o r k e n like Nancy h e i m like man and then dot com. So it's my name without with, with you know all all. Uh, no capital letters, just RaulBjorkenheim.com. dot com, and then okay. you'll find there's a good page you know, with who media. I forgot, you know what I forgot to ask you about was Shadow Glow. What what, what was that project about? Oh well, when I I moved to New York in August two thousand one, just in time to be there for September eleventh, and um, it, it was a very shocking experience, to, yeah. of course, uh, for everybody, but but for me, moving from Helsinki, the quietest town in the world, you know, in a way. To, to to New York and then to be in the middle of that madness it was crazy um, but decided to live on there uh, you know and stayed there for for seven years and during that time I, I met a whole bunch of people and it was Henry Kaiser who had played together with Lucas Ligeti they had played uh, played a, a record called Yo Miles that, oh yeah that, yeah uh, there was Klein's on there yeah right so 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 when I was living in New York then uh, Henry sent an email to to Lucas. And then emailed to me and, and introduced us. And so we got together and we had a session and we found that we have a lot of things in common. Uh, he, he, we're both of us very interested in, in modern contemporary, you know, so-called classical music. I, I'd prefer to just use contemporary music. And, um, and then we'd go to concerts together and, and then we played a lot of gigs, like a duo gig, because we found that we, we have a lot more freedom to come up with ideas, but just the two of us. And he's very interested in African rhythms and I'm interested in African rhythms. I've actually played uh, with Senegalese musicians to quite a lot, you know, in Finland. There we have a whole community of Senegalese guys here. 
and it's it's the greatest thing. That's I just love playing with that with that type of music. So we we put some of that that type of sound in what we did. But the piece that you listened to, Ghosted Wall, was a was a, probably one of my first real avant garde pieces where I'm using I'm scratching the strings and using different sounds that that wouldn't be maybe norm, normally. That was when I was starting to really uh, develop a, like a new. Uh, vocabulary for myself on the guitar so that that piece is in the in the i sent that to you because that uh, like a for me a turning point in a yeah, way yeah i was going to say sea change yeah Raul, somebody just getting into music now i'm not just talking young people because some people start music way later but what kind of advice would you have somebody getting into music well, I mean, I think the the old saying that 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 you don't choose music, music chooses you. So, so if, if you, <laughs> I, I think that if anybody wants to start with music in in order to get rich, I'd tell them, hey, you know, the, the richness is in the doing, and it's in the in the road. And if you manage to make a lot of money on that, that's fine too. And if you manage to make a living, that's that's already pretty good. But I mean, especially if you do the the type of thing that I've been doing, I've, I've just been doing the music that I. I choose and, and uh, that I love. So I haven't really had a, I, I guess in that sense, not really a big commercial uh, <laughs> juggernaut, you know, but, but I've, at least I've been happy to do what I've, I've been doing. And I've, I always feel that I stand behind the music that I do. So I would say that, that if you have a music that you, that, that you love to do, then that's what you have to do. And it's the, I, I would say it's the best thing to do. Like when I started as, as uh, like 13, 14, like that, and started playing in a, in a band, I never had any problem of what what to do with my time when I was a teenager. You know, never. It was always there was always practicing new songs, listening to records, hanging out with with my musician friends, rehearsing. Ah, that's the best thing. So I, I you know, anybody who wants to play music, do it. So, so in, in in a couple other words, it's like make music your focus if you want to get into music. That's exactly what that's what I'd say. Yep. Okay. I think that's fucking great. That's beautiful, and. uh you know, like I said, th- I don't think you just have to be a child prodigy. Maybe Joe Biza was 27 years old when he started guitar. Then a few years later, he was uh, transcribing Charlie Parker solos. So that's why I'm saying, uh, you know, this thing of like the young prodigy. I-, I think music, like Vincent, right? He starts painting the last 10 years of his life. I, I don't think everything has to come young. So that's why I'm- I-, I asked you for that advice for people out there, Do- uh, you know. So what if you ain't a kid? It's it's never too late to get into music. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Very kind of you. It's a pen- it was my pleasure. It was really fun talking to you, man, and and nice to meet you in this way. Um, perhaps one day we'll actually meet in in the uh, California Peninsula <laughs> or the Finnish Peninsula. In the Finnish Peninsula, yeah. When you come here with a band, man, you just let me know, yeah, and I'll yeah. be there. Okay, big love, people. It's been September third, twenty twenty one edition. Watt Pedro Show. Keep you powered, right?